Okay, you'll notice on the projector, um, when we get it up, you just saw it flash up before, but it's a photo of a fish jumping out of a fishbowl. Is the fish free? When the fish jumps out of its fishbowl, is it finally free? Because, you know, it's sort of a bit of a dilemma, isn't it? Because when it's in the bowl, it's kind of trapped. But if it was to jump out of the bowl, it would die. This is the kind of dilemma we find ourselves in when we become Christians. We know that the gospel, it's all about freedom. But as Christians, it seems like sometimes we're, we seem like we are trapped because we have to submit ourselves to God. In a way, the water could be seen as obedience to God. And the fish, the fish would be us. As soon as we free ourselves from God and obedience from God, we die. So we're going to try and focus on this idea of freedom today. And um, what I want to try and teach you is that people are truly free when they enslave ourselves or themselves to God. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, please help us to listen to your word today. Please help us to understand and rejoice in the freedom you give us. How wonderful it is to know your freedom and how wonderful it is to serve you. Please give us the desire to listen to you and to obey you today. Amen. So we're going to be looking at the passage of James 1.19 to 25. But I'm going to do something a little bit different. I'm going to start with verse 25 first. So we're going to be looking at the last verse first in this passage. So James 1.25 says, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he has heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. The hard thing in this verse is to work out how this perfect law gives freedom. How do you think that verse works? When we think about the law, we often think about commands and obedience, and we often see this as slavery. It seems that having to obey God is far from freedom. Christianity, in a way, seems like it's enslavement and oppression rather than freedom. But I think this is a very simplistic view of freedom. We had the story of the lost son before with the kids, and we saw that the father freed his son from slavery. He freed his son from having to work with the pigs. The father could have chose not to take him back, but he allowed him to return and freed him from that slavery, working with the pigs. And I think, in a way, this is how the perfect law gives us freedom. This perfect law in verse 25, as I think about it, um, there's a number of things that this passage tells us about this law. It's something that, firstly, you can look at. You, you can look intently at it. It's something that you hear, it speaks to you, and it's something that you can obey. Now, the word law, it can mean a number of things. It can mean commandments, but it can also mean instruction. And the Jews, 
They called the first five books of the Bible the law. And the first five books, they're not just about commandments. They're also instructions on how to live. They acknowledge what God has done in the past and how he's done many miracles. They're about God's character. They're about who we are. And they're often about how we need to obey God. I think the word law is used in this broader sense of the word. It's basically speaking about God's instruction and, you know, that sort of Genesis, Exodus, the first five books idea. It's a very broad use. So when I see the perfect law, I think it's talking about God's Bible, what God has said to us. And it's this Bible which instructs us in freedom. It's the Bible that we need to continually look at intently. We need to keep on listening to, not forgetting what we've heard, but keep on acting and keep on doing. In the Bible, you are freed from something to do something else. While the lost son was freed from the pig pen, he ended up coming under the father's authority. So we're, so in a way, the Bible sees that we're freed from sin, but we're to serve God. That's what we're freed from. So have a look in Romans 6, 22 and 23. I'll put it up on the slide too. It says, But now that you have been set free from sin and have become slaves to God, the benefit you reap leads to holiness, and the result is eternal life. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Can you see how you're never really free? There's always something controlling you. In Romans 6.22, it's either sin controlling us or God controlling us. But there's a benefit in being aligned to God. Have God as your master, because if God is your master, he will give you eternal life. But if sin is your master, it will result in death. Which master will you choose? The lost son, he was most free when he was with his father. He was most free when he put himself under the authority of his father. The reason why Romans 6.25 is speaking about freedom is because when we become Christians, we were previously enslaved. In fact, everyone's enslaved. Everyone's enslaved to sin before they become Christians. But the message of the Bible is the message of freedom. It can tell you how to break the chains of sin which leads to death. The Bible has a key to your freedom. And this passage is saying that if you are immersed in this perfect law, if you continue to read it and do it, then this is where you will find freedom. And this is how you are best made to live. The fish was best living when he was in the water, not out of it. We are best living in in a relationship with God. And we relate to God through the Bible. If we go back to James 1.25, we read, But the man who looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom and continues to do this, not forgetting what he's heard, but doing it, he will be blessed in what he does. The blessing is for this world and the next. When we live the way God intends, our relationships improve with each other. And this makes our lives better now. Our lives become blessed. But more than that, it's life after death. It's something that we look forward to.
But how are we to look intently into this perfect law? It's by listening and by remembering and obeying. And you'll see these things in verse 25. These things that we've mentioned in verse 25, they're spelled out a few verses earlier. So we're going to go back to verses 19 to 21. And and as I read it, you'll see how this sort of expands on what we've said. So James 1, 19 to 21. My dear brothers, it says, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent, and humbly accept the word planted in you, which can save you. Did you notice in verse 19, we're to be quick to listen. Who do you think it's talking about? Who do you think we have to listen to? Is it Because often when I read this, I think it's talking about listening to other people. But I think as we look at the context, it's It could be about listening to other people, but primarily it's about listening to God. And so in the broader context, if you went back one verse to verse 18, you'd see that he's just spoken about the word of truth. And then in verse 22 to 25, in that section, that whole section is talking about listening and obeying the word. So in some senses it can be about each other, but primarily it's about listening to God. And this passage, it tells us there's three things that stop us from listening to God. The first one is we speak. The second thing is anger. And the third thing is moral filth and evil. And we're going to look at those in turn. There are times when my speaking stops me from listening. It's normally in conversation with someone else. Someone might be telling me that I've done something wrong. And, you know, my temptation then is to either point out, you know, it's not really that wrong. It's not even my fault. And, you know, didn't I see you doing it last week? You know, I, I, I use my mouth to try and get out of, you know, someone telling me that I've done something wrong. I'm not admitting it. You know, we get defensive and we make up excuses. We, we're not really listening, are we? And we can do the same thing with God too. We can make up excuses. We can, you know, look at the other Christian and say, look what he's doing it, so it's okay for me to be doing it. Or we could say, you know, we live in a different culture now. We can ignore that part of the Bible because of our different culture. We want to say when the Bible is relevant and when it's not relevant. And this kind of thinking can stop us from listening to God properly. Even non-Christians do it. They say, you know, isn't God's not relevant these days. Hasn't science disproved God? They come up with all sorts of excuses of why they don't have to listen to God. And the second thing that stops us from listening to God is anger. So I drew this angry face. Kids might like it. They might be able to... The kids have their technon tasks, they draw pictures. I wonder if they could draw a better angry face than me. Um, so that's my angry face that I drew. And as I was drawing it, it highlighted a few things for me. 
when you when you're angry, you, your face might screw up a bit. But as I look at my think about my eyes, when I'm angry, my eyes are just so focused on that thing that I'm angry with. I I don't sort of look at the other issues. I'm just so focused on that issue at hand. And my ears, well, you know, maybe smoke doesn't come out, but um, they're blocked. They don't really want to listen to what other people are telling me because I just want to speak. I just want to yell or, you know, say how bad it is that whatever's happening. It's amazing what anger does to us. I think um, as Christians our temptation is that we often get angry at what other Christians do. We disagree and sometimes we stop listening to each other. We, we make assumptions that we think we've understood, but we don't really. It could be arguing about different topics. It could be arguing about predestination or charismatic gifts. It could be arguing over carpet. It could be anything. And as we get angry, we stop listening to the other person. We need to keep in mind that we want to not let anger guide us, but actually to have good, decent conversations with each other where we can listen to each other. And maybe even as we listen to each other, God might have something to say to us as we find out what other Christians have have discovered. Non-Christians do the same. They stop listening when they get angry at Christians. They stop listening to God because of that. They get so angry with Christians that they don't want to have anything to do with church. And so they use it as an excuse not to listen to God. Furthermore, they might know a little bit about Christianity. They might know that, well, Christians are supposed to love, aren't they? And if Christians are supposed to love, you know, are they really living up to this kind of expectation? And often they see us not living up to that expectation and so they write us off. It could be that they get angry about how Christians will not support same-sex marriage. It could be that they get angry about how Christians protest against abortion. And this anger they use as an excuse so they don't have to listen to God. Now some people say that anger is okay. It's not really a sin. And I think if we look in James, we see that, well, we can't really say it is a sin from the passage. It doesn't say don't be angry, but it says be slow to anger. So there's a slowness to anger. It's about trying to hold back your anger as far as you can, as long as you can. The problem with anger is that when we, we're angry, it's often mixed with some kind of sin. It could be pride or stubbornness, intolerance, greed, selfishness. It could be mixed with anything. So anger isn't a sin, but it often results in sin. Ephesians 4.26 says, In your anger, do not sin. So this verse, Ephesians 4.6, it assumes that we will get angry from time to time, but it warns us that when we do get angry, don't sin. Okay, the third thing that stops us from listening to God is moral filth. 
We can't listen to God and hold on to moral filth and evil. It just doesn't work that way. It's because when we listen to God, we need to be actually acting on what we're hearing. It's about words coming in, we're listening to God, words coming in and actions going out. If we're not listening to God, we're not acting. And that's, that's when we stop listening. We may find ourselves when we, we don't want to listen to God. We may want to sin. I don't know if you've ever found yourself in a situation where you just want to sin. You don't want to know what God thinks about the situation. You, um, you know, put your head down and, you know, just, I just want to do this thing and I don't want God to see it. We don't want to acknowledge God. We don't want to listen to what he has to say about it. We don't want other Christians to tell us we're doing the wrong thing. And it's kind of like selective hearing. We only want to hear what we want to hear. And we want to ignore the rest. And I think in this section when we talk about moral filth, I'm going to be quite vague because moral filth, it, it encompasses a whole heap of different things that we do. But I think if you're doing things that are morally questionable, things that you know that you shouldn't be doing, things that you know that God would be disapproving of, then we need to stop doing. Stop doing those things. We need to stop just... What we need to do is we need to listen to the Bible. Don't have selective hearing. And we need to act on it. So there's three things that stop us from listening. Speaking, anger, and moral filth. Okay, and in this passage, we're going to keep on moving on. And so we come to the next point, is that true freedom happens by remembering and obeying. And we see this um, in verses 22 to 24. And there's two things that we mustn't forget. The first one is forgetting who you are. So I'm going to read out James 1, 23 and 24. It says, Anyone who listens to the word but does not do what it says is like a man who looks at his face in a mirror and after looking at himself goes away and immediately forgets what he looks like. So he forgets who he is. And you should notice in this passage that the Bible is sort of paralleled to a mirror. The Bible, it tells us who we are. When we look at the Bible, we see ourselves for whom we really are. And we see God for how he is. When, when we look in our, at ourselves outside the Bible, we often think we're pretty good. You know, if Jesus didn't exist, we'd think, yeah, we're pretty good. And... Um, if, if I asked you, who do you think goes to heaven, what would you say? If you asked the local community, the chances are they'd say something like, well, I hope I'm good enough to go to heaven. I hope I'm good enough. But when we compare ourselves to someone like Jesus, who is the perfect man, the Bible shows we're lacking. It's like comparing a candle to the sun. You know, the candle by itself it still shows a bit of light. In a dark room, you can still sort of see a few things. 
And you can see that you know most people they can do things that are fairly good. Even non-Christians can do things that are slightly good, or they can do a lot of good things, really. But the sun is infinitely better. If you put the candle up against the sun, the candlelight disappears. You just cannot see that it's producing any light. Now, I've done a bit of an experiment in my garage here, try and show you what I mean. So um, there's a, a slide here, and it's showing a candle just in front of our spotlight in our garage. And you'll notice how the candle seems to go invisible. You can see that there's lines going across the spotlight, and you can still see those, even though the candle's there. When the spotlight's off, you can't see those lines in front of the spotlight. But when the spotlight's on, you can see how the candle just turns invisible, just like that. And so it's a bit like us in a way. Our works, when compared to a, a brighter light, they just disappear. They're just irrelevant. But the Bible says it's even worse than that. Have a look at Isaiah 64, 6. It says, All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. It sounds pretty morbid, doesn't it? The way God sees us is unclean. But there's more to the Bible story. We've just had Easter a few weeks ago. I remember Jesus' death and resurrection. Jesus died to save us for who we are. He saves us. If we can't see our need for God, then we won't understand the joy of the Easter story, the good news that the Bible shows us a solution to our uncleanness. Jesus forgives for us for all the wrong we have done in the past and will continue to do. And he helps us live the good life now. Okay. The second way we forget who we are is that we forget what we're supposed to do. James 1.22 says, Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourselves. Do what it says. So we're sitting here in church this morning and we're listening to God's word. We're having God's word explained to us. But listening is not good enough. What you're doing in here, in church this morning, is not good enough. Okay? Did you notice that in this verse, if you just listen to the word, you are deceiving yourselves? There are many ways that you can think that you're doing what God wants, but are not. You could think that listening to sermons will please God. You can think that reading your Bible will please God. Don't deceive yourselves. You have to do both. You have to listen and act. Otherwise, everything you're doing is counting for nothing. You are deceiving yourselves. In fact, you're actually worse off because you listen but ignore what God's saying. On Judgment Day, God will be saying, I told you what to do. I continually told you, but you ignored me. You came to church but you forgot what I told you to do. You read your Bible, but you forgot what I told you to do. If we had to break down the, the biggest things that the Bible tells us we should be doing, the two things are to trust and turn. 
You need to trust that Jesus is God's solution for our uncleanness. And you need to turn and follow him as your Lord and Saviour. The idea of being Jesus being your Lord and Saviour is that he is the boss. He is your master and you obey him. Today's talk, we've looked at true freedom and how we have true freedom by listening to God. And we have true freedom by remembering and obeying. And ultimately, we should see that true freedom comes when we're enslaved to God. We're only truly free when we enslave ourselves to God. True freedom comes from obeying God's word. But when you obey it, do you do it out of obligation? Do you do it begrudgingly? If you do, you're not really living in freedom. It's not really what God wants. He wants us to give freely. He wants us to want to serve him. God delights in us in our desires to serve him and obey him. We need to pray that we have this desire to come to God willingly in obedience. The lost son, when he returned to his father, he did so not under obligation, but willingness. He was willing to be a servant of his father. He came back willing to serve. We too should be coming back to God willing to serve. People are truly free when they enslave themselves to God. Are you truly enslaving yourself to God? Are you listening to him? Or do you let your anger get in the way? Are you remembering what he has told you? Are you obeying? I'm just going to finish by praying through James 1, 19-25. And I think sometimes as we pray three verses, it's a good way to reflect on how we should be um, acting. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, Please help us to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. Please help us to be quick to put into action what you tell us through your word. Please help us to treat people with different beliefs without anger, but in truth. Please help us to get rid of all moral filth and evil. Please give us a desire to do what you want rather than what we want. We thank you that you sent your son Jesus to save us from moral filth and evil. Please help us to acknowledge that we need you for help. We can't do it ourselves. We thank you for giving us your word through the Bible. Please help us to continue to accept your word which saves us. Please help us to listen to it and not to forget what it says. Please help us not to forget who we are. We thank you for the blessings that come from living your way. Please help us to be continually immersed in the word, that our lives will be blessed now and now in this life and in the life to come. Please make it our desire to want to serve you with our whole heart, so that when we serve you, we are doing what we truly want to do. Amen.